Welcome to the Village ZM. We are a youth-led podcast that focuses on the people of Zambia and how to navigate the problems we face as a country in order to create development. Follow us on the Village ZM on Facebook and at the Village ZM on Twitter and Instagram. Our podcast is available on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other platforms where podcasts are listened to. Welcome to this week's episode of The Village ZM. This week, we are doing something a little different because we want to commemorate yesterday, which was Youth Day, and just taking a day to focus on us as the youth. I think a starting point would be to ask Lusungu and Onani who are here. Um, first of all, how are you guys doing? Doing great, fam. Doing great. Looking forward to this conversation. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Onani, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm good. Feeling a little exhausted, but I'm good nonetheless. I'm glad to hear you're both good despite the exhaustion. I guess the starting point would be just to like ask ourselves what the age range for youth is because some people say it's still at the age of 40. Some people say 15 to 35. Some people say you know, at 45 they still feel like they're youth at heart. So I don't know what y'all think. I think if it's anyone between the age of 15 to 35. So anyone between those is a youth. I see, I see. I don't know. For me, I think 25 should be the limit for a youth. Anything older than that is an old person. What, 25? The reason I use 25 is because I feel like 35 is old. When we talk about a youth, what comes to mind? Vibrant, energetic, still has a lot of potential that the world is yet to see and still has a vision that they are figuring out. I don't see someone who's 35 still figuring out their vision. That makes sense to me. Anyway, based on your experiences, Lusungu, what do you think has been the biggest challenge for you as a youth growing up in Zambia? I guess the biggest challenge that I've faced as a youth in Zambia is being heard. Unfortunately, I've been around a number of people who keep on looking down at me because of how old or how young I am compared to them. So whenever I try to give an opinion, even though I do know what I'm talking about, and even though the opinion is, or the suggestion is something that is relevant and actually helpful, most people or most of the people who are older than me would look down at my suggestion. They'll think that, oh no, because you're young, you don't know what you're saying. Or no, because you're young, you don't know what you're doing. Or because you're young, you haven't yet fully understood the gravity of what exactly is going on. And yes, of course, I do agree to some extent that I don't. But it doesn't mean that I'm completely oblivious to what's going on around me. Okay, so how does that have an impact on society? An impact on you personally, actually? When they say, okay, this guy is just a young guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. That's a tricky one. Um, Honestly, it affects me in a lot of different ways, depending on the situation and the specific. But I guess the thing that I would try to focus on and accept is the fact that everyone is entitled to their opinion and opinions aren't facts. But just because they may believe one thing from being or doing what exactly I want to do, it just tells me more about the person who's giving that kind of view. It just gives me an insight into their mindset. I see. What's the importance of people listening to you? Like, why should people listen to you as a youth? 
Okay, so when talk about listening to people, not only me in particular, but other people, it's because you get to realize that the number of stuff that goes on around you that you may not exactly have the correct answers to. You may have the questions, of course, the right questions, but you may not have the right answers. So it's only by engaging with the people around you and seeing what else someone has in mind. Are you able to grow on your idea together? That's why it's important to talk, because only once you get to realize what's going on in someone's mind or in someone's head, are you able to then expand your knowledge? One weird thing that I like saying to myself is that I don't know what I don't know until I know it. And this is how it is, because I may not know what exactly is affecting you, what exactly is affecting somebody or what good idea somebody has until I actually get to know it. And that in itself allows for growth and it allows for the betterment of us as a community. It's a very sad situation. And yeah, I do believe that we all have a voice that deserves to be heard. What about you, Onani? What is the biggest challenge you are facing as a youth today? Okay, for me, the biggest challenge I think I'm facing right now is in the area of employment, unemployment to be specific. I'm currently looking for a job, so that's where I am right now in life. And the very obvious thing actually that right now the employment sector and employment rates generally are low in Zambia. You have so many qualified youths, so many people who go into colleges and universities and have graduated, have their degrees and all that, but just can't seem to find jobs. And that's how it is right now. So I've been to so many different places. And, you know, for some people, the job search can even last for a year, others even longer. And for others, of course, there's people who get lucky or whatever, get employed shortly after finishing university or graduating from university. But that's one area, I think, that really poses a huge challenge to the youth and specifically to myself right now. There's also the issue of in, like internships, which, of course, I'm very open to now. Like If, I, if a place isn't really hiring or they're not offering me a job, if they're offering an internship, I will take it because, of course, I'm trying to grow my skill and gain experience. But there's a thing of where you get hired as an intern and then you're expected to do so many things that I feel maybe would be given to someone who's actually an employee of the company and not an intern. So it's also the thing where interns are being quote-unquote overworked or overused or someone who advertise looking for interns and the work that the person is expected to do is like so much and then you're not getting paid, you're working there for free and they expect so much from you. So that's one thing for sure. And employment is a challenge for me and I think I'm pretty sure if I can speak for everyone else, I'd say the same too. You are in STEM, right? Yes, I am. Oh my God. I feel like that's just a sign of how bad unemployment is. If people <laughs> in STEM are having challenges getting jobs, then you just know it's real. I mean, I don't think I should suffer. But like these are specialists. And the thing is, the work is there to be done, right? Yeah. Because you you end up getting work piled up on you, right? Yeah. But they just don't want to pay you. So that's just a very sad situation altogether. Just the fact that there's work, but no money to pay the people who actually deserve to be paid for all the work. So behind all these great works and efforts that we see that actually lead to development in our country, are a lot of interns who are just not being paid enough. So that's very, very, very sad. But um, thank you for that contribution, Onani. So I don't know, like, would you say that 
there was a solution for this. All right. Sorry, but before we get into the solution, I'd like to find out, though, is it fair to say our economy is to blame for things being the way they are? Yeah, I guess that is. Our economy is not the best right now. So that's definitely one thing. So who does that for now? Who do you blame, if I can use the word blame? I don't really agree that our economy is the problem. Because, listen, if there's work to be done and they give people internships, and there's work that is being done. When they are charging the people who they are doing the work for, they charge a particular cost. So I feel like at the end of the day, the company makes their money, but the interns are the ones who suffer. So at the end of the day, maybe our economy is not the problem, but the companies themselves. That is true. But in the companies who are getting money from clients, who are getting money from, I don't know where. Of course, I'm not defending any of this. I'm on the side of the interns because I am one. But if if there's just no money in, you know, if there's no money around, if there's no money circulating, then where is the money coming from? Like at the top, top of the food chain. Exactly. The money is coming from somewhere. I think maybe one thing that can help more or less tackle such issues, it's probably just the fact that maybe we need stronger unions, like just more or less like, people who can actually speak on behalf of these employees in these fields, especially like for young professionals, because they don't really have enough power to more or less want their employers to treat them fairly or else action will be taken or anything. The, the employers won't take them seriously. Like Lusungu said, they don't want to listen to the youngsters. So at the end of the day, we just need people who can speak up for people who are in those positions. And that's why unions would actually do a huge justice to one and his concern. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but for sure they would make a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, look at the medical doctors and all their associations and whatnot. No one plays with them. When they are unhappy, everyone will know that they are unhappy. They are going to shake tables. But I'm like, every profession should be like that because people need to be paid their money, whether you like it or not. Look at the UNSA lecturers, them... They don't care if work is moving slow or whatnot. They know that they deserve to be paid. So, you know, those are definitely things that we can possibly look into. About the doctors and the lecturers, we do hear them speak often about what's going on. But even them, are their concerns actually met? Because I always hear about them raising their concerns. I don't hear any response about their concerns being met. I feel like what I've noticed is that their concerns are met, but then the same problem comes up again and then their concerns resurface. So it's like them complaining about the same problem and government finding a temporal solution for that and then them being stuck again. So I think it's been like a constant cycle, very sad situation altogether, if you ask me. So, yeah, it's very sad. But um, yeah, for me personally, I feel like the biggest challenge I have is, I think it's very similar to what Dosungu said about not being listened to. But for me, it's even just the fact that it's so hard to access the people who we need to access to have these conversations, because I believe in being a mouthpiece for the people. And, you know, as a young upcoming podcast, of course, we want to build our network and stuff, and we are doing a great job so far. But I just think it would have been easier if a lot of people just made it easier for us to actually get in touch with them, there's just such a big hierarchy and it's very hard for your message to be heard, you know? For example, even if you pass it down through, I don't know how many people until it gets to that person. The story is 
very likely to change by the time it gets to that person. Because first of all, it stops being a personal explanation of why you are so invested in this and why you are so passionate about this issue. But also, things get lost in translation. So the more it's constantly being translated by different people, by the time it reaches the person who needs to hear it, it's too late. You know, your message has completely changed. So I think that's what makes it very hard especially with us who are trying to build this platform where we more or less just inform the nation and sensitize them about different issues. In regards to communication, I honestly get what you mean about how hard it is to get in touch with some of these departments, ministries and whatnot, because this is a struggle that we have been facing together the past few months, where we're constantly trying to look for guests or trying to get in touch with guests. And then we're failing to connect with the departments or the ministries or the people that we're trying to connect with. And it truly is something that has made it extremely hard to try and connect with people and to try and get our messages across. It definitely would help if people are more accessible. I agree 100%. Because, you know, when we're carrying out our research and whatever, you're referring to so many websites to figure out who you're going to talk to, like the ministry websites and all those things. And that just made me think about how... Those websites, most of the time we find, are actually not updated and they can't get certain information. And then I think of like how we have so many young people who are IT professionals or who are skilled in areas like that who could actually be given jobs like that, you know, to just change things around, change systems and whatever and making things more digital. Have someone who's going to check your emails every so often if you've put an email address for people to like be able to conduct you or whatever so yeah i think you have both perfectly said that but it just made me think of that how that's one area maybe where they could use young people too exactly i 100 percent agree because honestly speaking like that's another thing i do think about so now i want to phrase the question differently we've talked about our own personal challenges as zambian youth based on our passions and interests and daily struggles but my next question is what problems do you think the youth are facing as a collective in modern day Zambia? I think the first one I can think of is education opportunities or the quality of education. Okay, that's two different ones. Let me talk about education opportunities. I think that there are not enough opportunities for the youth because people come from different families. We have those who come from high income families, low income families. So I think there are not enough opportunities given, especially to those people who cannot afford to pay, say, university fees and all that. We do have government bursaries and scholarships or loans or whatever. But I think there's a lot that goes into that apart from you just being unable to afford tuition fees. And then add to that people who can afford and people who are able to pay for themselves but have connections who are getting I think spots that are meant for those people who cannot really afford or those people who are really in need and just because I work there or I have an aunt who works at the whatever I put my nephew or niece there and that takes away an opportunity from someone who doesn't have it so I think um there's not enough education opportunities really for those people who cannot afford them so there are different things that could be done, of course, to change this, but that's definitely one. Even for people in rural areas, people who are, you know, who just, who live in areas maybe where they don't have the best schools around them and all that stuff, there are no equal chances and it's not an equal fight to get into universities in Zambia or even schools in Zambia 
Of course, they've tried to change that. We now have free education up to grade 12, but other issues that are coming up are arising from that on its own. But definitely one of them has to be educational opportunities. I don't know if you guys agree with me. This is something I passionately really talk about. I feel like bazaaries should be need-based till the end rather than merit-based. Because financial support should be for those who can't afford. Some people are brilliant, but they can afford. Giving them a bursary may take away from someone else who actually needs one. And like people's ignorance towards how privileged they are is the reason they end up wanting these bursaries to stay merit-based rather than become need-based. It's rather selfish in my opinion. Everyone deserves to have a chance to go to university as long as they pass, even if even if they're not one of the top students, you know? And um, I don't know, like, I don't think anyone should have to get six points to be able to attend university. This is why our educated population is more or less a representation of those who had the money and a few lucky people, rather than the number of people that actually passed their grade 12. Someone who can't afford textbooks and someone who had to sit on the floor in class and could only study during daylight because they use candles to light the house, competing with someone who only experiences load shedding for a few hours. It doesn't make sense. Someone who has to walk five kilometers to school in comparison to someone who just needs to take the bus. I could go on about this, honestly. But it's just a very sad situation to be in, honestly. And I feel like it's something we need to really think about because it's not. It's not fair, honestly. You're right, Tom. It really isn't fair when you come to think about how how much a number of people do suffer, like in our country, how much the youth do suffer in regards to the lack of equity and everything that's going on. And I guess it just comes back to tell us how much we do need to develop and grow as a country. I guess that's the, the only positive that I try to draw from it. I know it sounds crazy, but it's a reminder that we still have got a long way for us to go. It gives me motivation to keep on putting in the effort that I'm putting in every day because I'm always reminded that we still have got a long way to go when it comes to fixing some of the things that are terrible in our country. And only by, you know, actually talking about them every day like we do, only by actually finding ways in which to change them can can we fix what's wrong with our country. Exactly. So we really need to change our approach towards handling issues like this. Like it still goes back to our point about just communicating with the right people. I feel like if we were to communicate with the right people, we'll definitely get our message heard on on these issues, you know? So yeah, but yeah, I won't lie. It honestly makes me sad. Like it's like, even if the pass mark to go to a particular university, that's a government institution is 13 points. It's only the pass mark for privileged people. Because for the less privileged people, the pass mark is six to eight points. Because otherwise, they won't be able to get a bursary to afford it. And it's something I really think about. So there's very inequitable support when it comes to education. So, yeah, that's that on that. I guess for me personally, one challenge that I know that youth are facing are a lack of resources. Um, a few months ago, my cousin and I were having a conversation, you know, about how during this time of our lives is when we are supposed to, you know, be out there trying to hustle and figure out exactly what it is that we would want to do, you know, with the rest of our lives. And the reason why this is the best time is because it's the time when most of us as youth have got a safety net. 
of course, when he was saying all this, he, he was mainly referring to like him and I, who were parents who are there, who are present, and who are in a position where they're capable to like take care of us, you know, put a roof over our head and feed us while we try to to discover ourselves. But even though we do have got those um, advantages going for us, we've got the disadvantages of where there still seems to be a lack of resources. Because even if you still have got like some of the basics taken care of for you to actually do your hustle, your grind, or to try and figure out exactly what it is that you want to do and to try all those things, there are a number of different obstacles that you face along the way. If you're going to do something in, say, agriculture, you've got so many different things that you're looking at because you've got land and all those things that are not easily accessible. If you're looking at IT, you're looking at equipment, specialist equipment or other parts that are not really accessible or easy to find in Zambia. If you're looking into engineering and all those things, you still come back to, to face the same problems. Well, you feel like you don't have enough resources to try what it is that you'd like to try. And so that's why I feel like a lack of resources is the problem that a number of youth do face in our country. And the thing is, those who actually do get access to finance, it's very inequitable. I can give you an example. We had this musician's empowerment, I think, before the 2021 elections. And all the people who were empowered seemed to be the people who we knew as like famous people, people who already had gained recognition and built networks and platforms and all of that. And then you have these upcoming musicians who some of them have dedicated their life into being a musician and stuff, just like these other more established ones, except they are not established at all. They are still coming up. They have all these ideas that they can't really pursue because they don't have the money. So why would you go and give someone who already has opportunities at the cost of having someone from the opportunities that they've never had as an upcoming artist. But there's many examples like that. It's not just there. Even just these people have SMEs and, you know, we've got a lot of young, brilliant minds, honestly. So it's just that not all of them have the access to the right finance. So that's what I wanted to say. This makes me think of how young people are advised to engage in entrepreneurship activities, especially with job opportunities being scarce for certain certain areas. So young people um, are advised to just jump into entrepreneurship and all that. I mean, it makes me think of how for you to start a business or do anything, you need to have money. And where is that capital coming from? So it reminds me, of, like we spoke about the Youth Empowerment Fund, it just made me think of that, like how young people need money to start the businesses that they are being advised to do. But if there are no job opportunities to make money, then where is the money to start businesses come from? For me, like a challenge that I think of is the lack of extracurricular activities for the youth, especially those who come from less privileged households and, you know, for lack of a better term, low-income areas. The thing is, you can't really blame a child for what they do with their free time if you have never given them the option of having different alternatives when it comes to, you know, activities that they could possibly do in their free time. And then we want to be the same ones who start blaming them when they turn out 
to cause havoc in society if they're always found in the wrong crowds doing the wrong thing at the wrong time if they end up doing substance abuse i heard during the state of the nation addressed by the president a few days ago he did talk about how substance abuse is a big problem but the truth is that if substance abuse is a big problem what alternatives are you giving the youth because for them that's their life they don't know a better life than that so i think that's something we definitely really need to look into because a lot of these youths are talented in so many ways but they don't really have access to the opportunities that can help them maximize their talents but even just giving them a place where they can more or less explore that talent better like just a proper football field or a basketball court or is it chess or whatever it is that they are good at but i just feel like they just need that opportunity you know that's something i really really think about or right, let me just jump in here i get what you mean i i had um a similar frustration like a few months ago actually more of like weeks ago actually um it was during the opening ceremony of the olympics i was watching it with a few friends and it was just shocking to see how few african countries were actually there in the olympics of course yes i know it's the winter olympics but then it it just comes to remind me like there's so many things that we could be doing as zambians and with core curriculums as malimba has said there's so many things that we could be doing like swimming you know hockey different sports and activities that can help people grow and find different ways to make themselves or to grow themselves because everybody is always trying to do um the usual you know go to school get your degree and then get a job related to your degree because that's what seems to be the option but then there's so many things that we could do you know in this world that you can actually gain from and actually make a living out of like sports because there's so many people out there who are doing it in other countries and if if we could only invest in ourselves with core curriculums as much as we do in other areas i think it could actually help a lot with the growth of the next generation i think the topic on sport generally is a it's a very big one and i think it deserves a whole conversation on its own but i definitely share the same sentiments i think it's more than also just putting a football field somewhere it's more than just that how developed are say for example the sports facilities like when you play football in high school then what you know where does the person go from there how competitive are these things made in university and whatever i think the sports what i don't know if i can call it the sports management field or just talent identification also in zambia needs a lot of work because i think for you to just make it to national team how many people are actually trying out for the national team or are you just picked because oh someone knows you play well and there are so many other people i believe who could play good football and would you know give people in the national team run for their money so there are all those things that i think about when i see sports but definitely for youth there are not enough extracurricular activities or even just things that people can do as apart from education. I understand the government even today's government really puts emphasis on education because I'm sorry I'm going to take us back a bit but I remember during the campaign period when we were actually hosting a space but I'm trying to remember exactly who who we had on that day but it was someone from the UPND yeah i think the mayor and someone 
was the one the UPND candidate for the Saka Central. Yeah. So anyway, someone asked actually about this and spoke about will funds be given like to use to help them grow other things, be it like businesses or just, you know, other for them to be able to come up with other sources of income. And the guest we had in a space that they literally just said, no, we're not going to do that because they're trying to focus on other things, like other ways of making money and whatever. Then they put emphasis on going to school, which, you know, I agree. So let's go to school, let's get educated. But there are all these other things as well that could get people to certain levels or raise someone to certain status that don't always have to do with education. So a lot more can be done in terms of extracurricular. There's a lot more anyway that could be done to develop all these systems and all these sports facilities that we have. You know, like when I think about it, it's just very sad. Like as a youth in Zambia, it's like your life is planned out from the beginning by the system. And it's very sad because it's like, you know, if you just ask yourself, is it fair to classify someone as a non-functional member of society or non-productive member of society if they've only been granted one pathway in life and if they don't follow it, then that's the only option they have? I think that's very sad because there should be many alternatives because maybe that's not their passion and that's not something that they really want to do. So even if they, I mean, they'll try and do it for survival, but you won't expect them to do it as well as someone who feels like they were made to do something from the beginning. So it's a very, very sad situation altogether, if you ask me. So back to you, Onani. I already mentioned educational opportunities or access to education, but another challenge that I believe the youth are facing is the quality of education. How good is the education we're receiving? I think this is a conversation probably the song is already already has in the works, but with the introduction of the free education policy, do you people think it sort of will in some way introduces the quality of education if the number of students in a classroom is not like if the number is not being regulated? Because we have youths who are still in high school, for example, and who right now are benefiting from the free education policy. But then there was a day on TV, they were showing a classroom and it was so packed. Like you begin to think, is there really any like serious learning going on in an environment like that? So I think that's one challenge that has just risen that I can think of. I don't know what I thought on this. I can actually go on this because I heard the president speaking about this just a few days ago. Um, okay. Yeah. So the government is aware that that's an issue. And they say that the solution is in the amount of CDF that they put in order to build more classrooms and build more furniture. And I think they even went on to talk about how they're only going to get this stuff from ours, fellow Zambians. It'll be Zambian made furniture. And yeah, and the projects of building the classrooms will be done within the community. So it will be a community-based project. But yeah, I think another thing he did go on to say was that the fact that the classrooms are getting filled like that is just a sign of how many people were hindered from taking their children to school because of 
you know, lack of finances to take them to school. So it's like, ah, you know, might as well stay home. We save money kind of thing. Or we don't have to spend money that we don't necessarily have. So, yeah, that's more or less what I know about the issue. But, yeah, it definitely is a problem and stuff. But also, I mean, employing more teachers, I mean, the process has taken long, very long. I hope they will finally conclude this at least by the, by the end of the first half of the year. But, you know, employing 30,000 teachers would definitely also help. We'll see what happens with that. I don't know what Dusungo has to say about this. I uh, see. I have quite a bit to say about this issue because this is something I've been looking at for the past few weeks. I'm trying to figure out a way how to create a conversation about it because it seems to be a very deep issue and something that affects so many people in so many different levels. And honestly speaking, for me personally, I feel like this was created by lack of foresight because there's no way that you can make something free and then be shocked when there is more demand than you can actually supply. Honestly, on this issue, first and foremost, I'm blaming it on a lack of foresight and a lack of proper preparation for it. Because even if the president does mention that, oh, yes, CDF is going to be released and then um, communities are going to be able to construct their own schools, I think it's not a very practical approach because looking at how long government takes to release funds, it's not going to be possible for funds to be released quickly for construction to begin. I know, of course, most construction companies should be able to like start off the construction before receiving funds. But let's be honest, a number of construction companies don't have that kind of capital, especially if you're looking at local construction companies. Most of them would not put in that much work into it. So again, that in itself means that the time of construction of those same schools is going to be delayed. A project that would normally take six months would now take most, most likely a year. So we're going to have a very big issue for the next year or so in regards to education where there are more people in the public schools than what the public schools is able to handle. And it truly is sad that this is the place that we have reached. I think I'll, um, I'll save the details for like another conversation because honestly, I'm too emotional by it because it's something that really should not have happened though and this is happening. I feel like it's causing a lot more, whole lot more problems than, than solutions. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And now that I actually think of what you said, it makes so much sense. And what I am sensing is maybe the government ended up playing politics with something that was a very good policy that just needed to be implemented in a more patient manner, in a more structured manner. And like you said, there was a lack of foresight. It's like there was this rush to please the people, small, small, when, you know, you could have actually given the people what they needed in a proper way. Because free quality education, maybe they should have built this infrastructure first and bought the furniture first. And then maybe then they can actually start to like think about implementing the policy. So they did it the opposite way. and. I don't know. It's going to take a while because you can't build the classroom in two months, you know? So time is going. People are in class, they're enrolled in class and they are learning, but they are learning under really harsh conditions and time is going. So yeah, affecting them when it comes to them actually getting like a proper quality education. So yeah, that's what I have to say on this uh, issue. I think another thing that 
we can really talk about is, you know, we talked about the professional world and how hard it is to get a job. But I feel like for me, another thing that I see, especially in government institutions, is that there's this hierarchy. When it comes to just, you know, progressing in your career, in your positions at work, you know, exploring different managerial positions, it's like you'd be working from at a place from the time you're 25 and it will take until you're about, you know, 50 for you to be given a managerial position or like a supervisor position and everything. Meanwhile, you've been boosting your qualifications, your experience and whatnot. But it's like there are people who are older who are holding on to these positions and people who are letting people hold on to these positions. You see this a lot in these civil servant positions you know, in public service, like you, you see a lot of that in the ministries, in the authorities. And it's just very demoralizing because at the end of the day, just imagine for 30 years, you're just doing the same thing, no different task whatsoever. Yes, you become good at what you do, but then you want more of a challenge. You want to reach for more. And it's just very sad. And it goes back to just more or less your path being defined for you. And it's not just in that, even just in politics. Like you want to start off as a young politician, you have an idea that could benefit your constituency or your society. But there's this MP for 30 plus years who keeps on contesting and keeps winning. But the party keep lobbying him and you want to be under the same party because you have the same ideology, but they won't give you a chance. So it's just very sad and very demoralizing. And then they complain, oh no, we don't have enough young people who are MPs that we can put into cabinet. No, it's because you don't lobby them. You don't give them a chance. You know, it's who has money, who are, who is more established at the time, or who is more senior, you know, who's friends with this one. And it's very sad, you know, because then we'll have no leaders left in our society one day because these people are getting odd but no one is giving other people a chance to lead. So no one is getting a proper opportunity to grow in society. I get what you mean. You know, there is a lot of problem with vertical growth in our society. And I guess it kind of raises on the fact that there's very little that people feel like they can do after spending their time in the civil service. Like once they retire, they feel like the number of opportunities or things that they can do with their, with their lives and everything are limited. So I guess that's one reason why they tend to hold down whatever it is that they're holding on to. And I think it's something that they should realize is being caused by ourselves, was that the current generation should realize that this is an issue or a problem that they are creating for themselves. If you're thinking about what am I going to do next once I'm done from here, once I've spent my five, 10 years in my current position, you should create an environment that would allow you to grow once you take your next step. But then all that everybody seems to be focusing on is just the current, the current time frame. All that people focusing on is now. And the lack of foresight on the future is really something that is, is hindering our development and our growth. Yeah. Um, okay. So if, you know, if we've expressed your thoughts on this issue, I have one last one, and that's mental health. I feel like that's something that you guys we can really talk a lot about because we've had a lot of conversations about this. So I want people to hear your opinions about this issue of mental health. You know, what's the main challenge when it comes to the youth and mental health in our society? 
I feel like one of the first things that we need to look at, honestly, and which is going to be very hard for us to look at, is community. Our community is one that isn't understanding of mental health. Because every time you try to talk about mental health issues or something related, most of the older generation tends to frown upon it or look at it like, I, I don't even know what the best way of, of putting it is, but there's just a certain stain that mental health has in most of our communities. The stigma that comes with mental health in our community is something that we really need to address and fix because mental health is something that is truly affecting a lot of youth um, these days. And what makes it harder is for them to come out and talk about it because of the reaction that we tend to get from our community. That's a, a good one to bring up, actually. Um, I think, well, I don't know if I'm right to assume anyway, but well, most of the youth now, a large number of the youth now, have some sort of understanding of mental health and what looking after your mental health may involve. I'm not so sure that most of the older people anyway have a, a full understanding of that or are open to actually learning about mental health. So I think it comes as a struggle if, for example, this is just an example in my home, if I understand mental health and I'm taking the steps necessary to look after my mental health. If the people I live with, my guardians or whoever looks after me, does not really understand it or is not for the idea of looking after your mental health or sees it as something that's serious or doesn't see looking after your mind as something important, the way we look after our physical bodies, then I think it becomes more of a challenge. It becomes a very big challenge because how are you going to, you know, fully invest in that, in looking after your mental health that is, and just looking after yourself? If the people around you or those who are older are also are not really, you know, are not so involved or as informed as you are. So I think that's one challenge regarding mental health. Also, public health services, how easy is it to go to a hospital or wherever and seek the attention you need regarding mental health? How easy is it to do that? How easy is it financially? How easy is it to just walk in and say, look, this is what's going on and I think I need someone to talk to. So there are all those things. That's something that needs to be developed in the country, in Zambia. And if we are going to really preach mental health or preach looking after mental health, it will take more than it's not just the youth. This doesn't only, you know, it's not just us who are going to ensure that everyone understands or whatever, but if we're going to help each other, if we're going to help youth, even those who are not youth or older people, I don't know what I can call them, <laughs> are also going to need to step up and also be open to the idea of looking after your mind just as much as we look after our physical bodies. I 100% agree. Like, you can't really blame the youth on substance abuse or when it comes to not making it in school or many of these other issues that they face if you're not giving them the right mental health support because they need counseling. You know, someone who engages in substance abuse is not a criminal. Someone who needs help. So I think we need to change our perspective on these things. Someone who needs mental health support needs help. And that's all it is. It's not a trend or anything. It's just something that's very important. And that's really all I have to say on this issue. Just a last thought. Also, um, 
separation between um, mental health and spirituality is something that I feel like needs also to be addressed, not only by our youth or, you know, us young people, but also by everybody in general, because there truly is a very big difference between someone having spiritual problems, whatever that may be, and someone having mental health problems. And I feel like a clear differentiation between the two and, um, you know, people not looking down upon mental health and then and making it look like it's a spiritual problem when it's actually a mental health problem is something that really needs to be addressed in our community. So that is one of the ways in which um, we are really going to help each other out and help the next generation to reduce the number of mental health problems. We are coming to the end of this episode, but um, if you had a chance to actually talk to these people who are in power, or who actually have this opportunity to help us deliver the change we want to see, what would you tell them? Because I spoke about education, I think I would say create equal education opportunities. Make it possible for even the people who are not in financial position to pay for their university fees. Make it possible for them to still go to university because as much as everyone deserves education up to grade 12, everyone deserves to be able to go to college or to be able to go to university. So I'd say create equal education opportunities for everyone. That truly is amazing. But I feel like for me, the last thing that I'm going to put up is to do with foresight. Foresight is something that is truly essential, you know, because looking at things in hindsight, it is beneficial, but in hindsight, it's way too late. So we really need to have the foresight to really look at some of these issues that are happening today and think about them critically, think about how they're going to affect the, the young generation, the next generation, and also the current generation. Because only once we really start to look, you know, at foresight, as much as we look at things in hindsight, are we really going to develop ourselves as a nation? Yeah, I mean, good luck getting the UPND government to start talking about foresight rather than hindsight because they spend a lot of time talking about what they've done that the PF were not doing and stuff. It's always been, oh, in the past there was this, in the past. What about in the future? Foresight. Thank you for that, Osungu. My only point is, Help us communicate with you, break down the hierarchies, make it easier to be accessible. That's all. With that being said, we are the Village ZDM. Thank you so much for listening to us, and we hope to see you soon. Bye for now. <laughs>